Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Armando Luna. I'm Joan Pettit. We're broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is a show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. We cover bicycling, trains, and transit, infrastructure, adventures, and today, Kaylee Kornhauser talking about all bodies on bikes and size inclusivity in bicycling. How's it going, Armando? Oh, it's going pretty good. Been doing a lot of bike rides lately? Uh, I started off uh, pretty okay, I think. I, I missed a couple. Um, you know, real life gets in the way, but uh, um, I think I'll be okay catching up. <laughs> well, we have a Sprocket podcast bike ride to tell folks about. Uh, it is Pedalpalooza in Portland for, well, not just for the month of June, for all summer. And um, we know not all of you are in Portland, uh, but for folks who are in Portland or nearby and want to join us, we are going to lead a Sprocket podcast ride on Monday, June 21st. Um, the best part is that we will be recording a podcast episode as part of the ride. Uh, Aaron, Guthrie, Armando, and I will all be there. And uh, folks on the ride will have a chance to be part if they want. Um, so we'll meet at 6.30 p.m. at Peninsula Park in North Portland at the intersection of North Ainsworth and Kirby. And then we ride at 6.45 p.m. We'll stop at a few parks along the way and uh, record there. And then we're going to end at Lad's Circle. And by absolute demand of everyone who responded <laughs> to our question on Instagram, afterwards, uh, folks who want can continue on to the beer mongers to get a drink. Uh, that won't be officially part of the ride. We won't be recording after that, but uh, we will, some of us will be headed over there and uh, folks are welcome to join. So people can check the Pedal Palooza calendar for evolving details and we'll post them on Instagram and Twitter at Sprocket Podcast. So I think this should be fun. Yeah. It's not going to be too long of a ride. So it'll be, you know, we'll go a leisurely pace, plenty of chance to chit chat. We didn't, uh, I know that Aaron and I believe Guthrie have already um, recorded mobile before, um, but you yeah. and I, I don't think have. No, so they did. Um, to, they we might have did to do a dry episode. run on this, right? <laughs> What's that? We might have to do a dry run on this. <laughs> yeah, we might have to. Yeah, we should go. We should, we should get off Zoom and go get on our bikes right now. <laughs> They did. They did. Um, I saw them before I was, you know, involved. I saw them recording at um, Lads Circle, the Lads 500. Uh -huh. And then I feel like Brock said something about having done an episode that was a train ride or something like that. Oh, okay. But I haven't. Now, now folks who've listened for a long time are going to be like, that was episode 322. <laughs> <laughs> you fakers. <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> We're totally fakers. <laughs> so, yeah, I think this will be fun. I think, honestly, I think it would be fun to just go for a bike ride with, you know, the four of us. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. But I think it'll be nice to have folks there. And, um, yeah, and we're going to have, we're going to have a series of 
questions for people, but we don't exactly know what those questions are yet. So like, we're going to have three different questions we ask folks if they want to be part of it. So I don't know if folks, if folks have ideas for what those questions should be, you know, maybe send us a message on Instagram or Twitter at Sprocket Podcast or send us uh, an email to the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. Oh yeah. Well, and we'll be sure to do reminders that day. So uh, it's fresh in your mind. Well, anyway, I wanted to say I have been, um, I have been riding my bike a little bit more. I was off, off my bike for a while. Cause I, I injured my back again. It was just excruciatingly painful. It was really bad there. Um, and last week on Monday, I went for actually kind of a long ride. Well, not long, but longish given my injury. So I went on the pedal Palooza kickoff ride. And then a couple days later, I rode my bike to physical therapy. And today I rode my bike again to physical therapy. And it feels nice just to like have places to go and be moving around town on my bike. That is the way I like to ride my bike best. Yeah. Destinations. Yeah. How many, uh, how many pedal Palooza rides have you done? I don't know. Five? Six, seven? I don't know. Something I like feel that. like it's 30. No, it just seems that way. <laughs> I, I, I missed one uh, last night. I had, actually had uh, had some personal business to attend to last night. So I, wa- I really wanted to go to the uh, the No Hands Olympics. That's one of my favorite, most favorite mm. events. And uh, I missed that. But the other thing that bummed me out yesterday is that we had this uh, weather forecast of rain. Rain getting coming at 2 o'clock and... I know it actually rained in some other places in Portland because I saw uh, social media photos and videos of the rain, but it never rained in my neighborhood at all. I was at the Lowe's Garden Center watching an absolute (laughs) downpour. (laughs) I heard I was like checking out and I heard all this noise and people had all these looks on their faces and I wasn't really paying attention. And then I turned around and I was like, oh, Because, you know, it doesn't usually, like, just pour here. Usually it, like, drizzles, but we don't often, especially this time of year, just get just this huge downpour. So it was actually, it's great. We need the rain. It's been, we're already having a drought. It's been very dry. So, but I, uh, you know, I did something I don't usually do in Portland, which is that it was raining so hard. I kind of hung back and just waited it out for a little bit. You know, usually here it's not raining so much that you need more than a hoodie. Were you on your bike? No, I drove. Oh. I had to get... You were getting plants and stuff, right? Uh, well, I did, but you know what I was getting? I was getting... Um, uh, this, I was getting filters for my oh. furnace. Yeah, I got to get those filters too. I totally have to get To those. get ready for wildfire season so i got because last year they were all sold out Mm -hmm. so i planned ahead there's a um great podcast that i listen to it's called live like the world is dying and it's um the host is this uh, woman, Margaret Kiljoy, in, uh, who's like an anarchist prepper kind of thing. Anyway, and so I don't know. I just love this podcast now. And uh, she was talking on Twitter like, now is the time for you folks in the West to be getting f- ready for wildfire season. And I was like, yes, thank you, Margaret. So I was at, I was at Lowe's yesterday. Mm. So I did, I did drive there. I guess I could have, I guess I could have ridden my bike and I have a new trailer, but, um, I was trying not to overdo it with my bike oh, and that you, Lowe's is not. What trailer did you get? In, 
Oh, I got I got a great trailer. Uh, it's a burly trailer. I don't know. Let me Is look it one up. of those I'm flat ones? Yeah, one of With those flat rails. ones. What's what do they call it? Um it's not the kid one. It's uh-huh. the uh I don't remember what they call it. Yeah, it's the flatbed. There it's yeah. just their flatbed. Okay. Cool. Um yeah, those are nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw Jonathan from Bike Portland uh, posted about he had one and said he really liked it, and um, he was talking about it on Twitter. And then Clever Cycles chimed in and said, we have one more in stock. And I was like, okay, I've been talking about getting a trailer for so long. But this is so bad because I haven't actually even hooked it up to my bike yet. So, Yeah, I used a – I have a a similar to a Bob – but it's a Yakima brand trailer, and it's it's a one wheel trailer, uh, which is great if you're on trails and stuff. But uh, oh my gosh, I was carrying so much heavy stuff, and um, I would really would have preferred a two wheel trailer. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I was like gonna go the cheap route, and I kept like looking up trailers on Craigslist. I was trying to find something used, and I was thinking I would get. Um, yeah, just try to find a cheap one. And I, there were some on there and, you know, they, they were, I don't care that they're old and dingy, but some of them were missing the rain covers or whatever. And finally I was like, you know, I really, I don't want to get like a trailer for kids that, that I'm trying to make work for what I want it to work for. So yeah, so I'm excited. I'm, uh, oh, and they have, they make this like cargo net thing that my friend Carrie suggested made a really big difference in using her trailer. Oh and, yeah. So anyway, I just need, um, well, I wasn't biking for a while, so that's why I didn't use it. Now I just need to, I was joking around that I was going to put like two books on it and bring them to the library. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but next time I need to, uh, do like a big trip to the grocery store or something like that. I'm going to take it. I'm very excited about it. So if anybody has one of those and wants to give me their tips for it, I would love to hear from you. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it looks great. looks great. Yeah. I had one. So I had one that was like the little kid kind and I went to go get it and I, I, I don't know where it is. I don't know if I had it in, on, in my backyard and somebody got into the backyard and took it or if I loaned it out to somebody and I forgot <laughs> or if it's and in they, my basement, for, which, it, which it could be in my basement. <laughs> so I'll have to look again at some I, point. I have to say, I lose things like that a lot. Like, did I get rid of this or did I just put it in a place that I can't remember? Yeah. You know, and I usually know the answer like three years later when I find it. (laughs) So, well, if you need to use a trailer, you can borrow mine, but let me use it first. (laughs) Well, so here's the thing. Um, The old kitty kitty trailers that I have or that I thought I had, uh, it actually connects to the frame where the back wheel um, attaches, but if you have disc brakes, it doesn't work. So when I use that trailer, I have to use my old mountain bike, you know, my old 26-inch mountain bike, so I can attach the trailer. But this um, Bob replica trailer that I used actually attaches to the skewer, so you have to have a special skewer. Uh, so you remove the skewer of your bike and then put this special skewer in and then the, the hooks hook onto the skewer, um, which I guess I could have used 
um, my Fargo to pull it, but I, I ended up using my old mountain bike anyway. Uh, the skewer wasn't that great, and it, it seemed like it kept coming loose. I think if I would have had to stop really hard, um, well, one, I wouldn't have stopped because the trailer was so heavy. Um, but two, I think it would have pushed the wheel in the out of the um, out of the frame. So I was sort of concerned about that. Yeah, those are the those are the kinds of things that sometimes you have to use it for a while before you realize like this is just not really a great system. Right. Hmm. I, I think hmm. the best ever, uh, I think it's a Burley. The Burley has a trailer, well, for the kid trailer, that actually attaches to a rack. So when you get the trailer, you get a special rack where um, the connector is on the rack itself. And that works really well because I've had the trailers where the connector attaches to the seat post. And that just, it can really throw your, your balance off and and actually loosen your seat post. And I don't know, I just... I've used that a lot, but I don't prefer it. Yeah, I will be glad to tell you all about how my trailer attaches to my bike and what I think of that once I actually attaches attach it to my <laughs> bike for the first time, but I haven't done that. So, yeah. Yeah, like I'm looking at the specs here. Let's see. It does fold flat really nicely. Like the wheels come off really easily and it right. folds flat. So storage is really easy. And um, I mean, I guess that would be great if you wanted to like, yeah, like for storing it in your house or if you want to uh, travel with it somewhere. Yeah. It just says burly hitch system. And I think you can get like two different hitches so you could move it between two different bikes pretty okay. easily. Yeah. So so when you go grocery shopping, are you going to wheel the your trailer into the store with you and put your stuff on the trailer? I feel like if I do that, I should be wearing my bike helmet and my high vis. <laughs> well, yeah, you're not going to take yeah, that off. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Although, you know, it would be really, I mean, I know they make um, those kitty trailers that are like jogging trailers or right. bike trailers. Uh -huh. I feel like, yeah, you could make like a bike trailer that is both a bike trailer and like, I don't know. Maybe there's a, they call them granny carts. I think that's kind of a rude name, but like in New York city, you know, like when people go and get earn lots of cities, actually, if you, you know, live in an apartment and when you go get groceries, you, you pull like a little, it's like a little shopping. It's like a combination between like a shopping cart and a hand truck. Mm -hmm. It's like a little hand truck you pull behind you. So maybe what I need is a trailer that's also functions as a hand truck. Well, yeah, that's like the, the Burley Travoy. I think that's that one. Oh yeah. And you know what? Uh, Beth Hammond had, she, I think has one of those and had a great review of it on her Instagram a few months ago. I don't remember when I saw it a few months ago and it actually, it was a very helpful review because it made me think that I did not want to get that trailer. Um, because it doesn't, yeah, like uh, there's no weatherproofing. Like you have to get a totally separate, like weatherproof bat. I don't know. Mm. I think this is going to work a lot better. Cause I can basically just use like, I don't know. I have like just plastic reusable shopping bags. And then I could put like a small tarp on it and just mm -hmm. cover them up if it's a little bit rainy and the cargo net. So yeah. Yeah. That one actually. Okay. So having said that, yeah, that does look like it would be, but there, you can't really, it only, it doesn't have sides on it. Right. So I don't um, think so. I think it's, yeah, yeah. I don't think it does. 
It's more like a, oh. a luggage rack. It's Arcus. What a treat. I'm Kaylee Kornhauser, uh, and I am... Uh, I live down in Corvallis, Oregon. I'm a PhD student in the College of Forestry at Oregon State University. Um, and I am also uh, working as kind of a cycling advocate um, for folks in larger bodies, trying to make more inclusive spaces for for um, fat people and people in larger bodies in the the biking world. And you have had uh, quite a spring, it seems. Uh, so I know that you've been riding bikes for a long time. And I know, I think I first, I think you had an article in Bicycling Magazine a few years ago, I think, right? Yeah, I uh, think uh, 2019. Yeah, and that was, in, were you, gosh, were you on the cover of that? Yeah, that was in, that was in 2020. Yeah, same yeah. article though. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that how did that feel? That must have been like check me out, Bob. <laughs> yeah, for real, literally. <laughs> it was so cool. I had no idea the piece came about like very organically. Someone just reached out on Instagram that uh, an editor there and asked for recommendations about plus size clothing, and it spiraled into this conversation, and then the article, and then um, you know the article came out online, and I thought like that was that, which was really cool but they contacted me a couple months later and let me know it would be the cover story. So that was uh, really shocking. And I mean, it was amazing to be, to be given that platform and then to have, you know, my body shown on the cover of a magazine that uh, I mean, I had grown up reading and seeing that magazine, you know, and I wrote afterwards about like, what if I had seen that a magazine like that as a kid, like in a doctor's office or something like how impactful would that be to me to see a person in a larger body on a sports magazine? So I think it's, yeah, it was pretty uh, incredible that I got that opportunity. What a great feeling though, to know too, that like there's some kid who is seeing you somewhere that you don't even know about who is, yeah. you know, seeing um, somebody who looks like them in a way that maybe they're not used to seeing in a place they're not used to seeing. That's pretty powerful. I yeah. think such an honor to be the, the person who was featured in that way, but there's so many other mm -hmm. people, you know, so I hope it spoke to some people. I know people have reached out to me. I hope it speaks to, to kids. Um, Cause I know when I was a kid, especially like a high school, I really needed messages like this and, and didn't hear them until later in life. Well, and I think it speaks to, um, I don't want to say it's a timely issue because I think this has always been an important issue, but the fact that people are maybe able to hear and understand that this is a timely issue who, who weren't able to before maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like people are really uh, ready to listen to lots of different stories and mm -hmm. this is just one and my story and Marley's story. They're just two stories, you know? And there's so many other people who have their own version of this to share, but it does feel like people are ready and really open to considering new ways of thinking about identity and bodies. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to tell you that when, um, when all bodies on bikes came out and I think it was in late March, 
Um, I was, I was so excited and I watched it and I cried while I was watching it. And then I made my kid <laughs> watch it with me. And then I told all the Sprocket podcast hosts about it. And, um, so I, and I actually mentioned it on a previous episode of the podcast and encouraged folks to watch it, but for, and it is, it's freely available. You can Google it and it's on YouTube, but for folks who haven't seen it, can you talk a little bit about that and how it came about and, you know, the, the stories that you all share in that? Yeah. Oh, and the fact that it's about a bike packing trip. That's yeah. really cool too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I don't want to be too long winded. Um, yeah, I, it came about my, a friend of mine from college, um, ended up being a filmmaker. And after the the article and magazine came out, he reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in telling a version of that story, uh, on a film or in a film. And, um, and I said, you know, sure, let me know if you, if that ever pans out. And many months later, he had connected with Shimano, who was interested in doing this film and supporting it financially. So, um, it was, it seemed pretty natural at that point, Marley and I, Marley Blonsky and I had been working together for, uh, a year or two on these body size inclusivity workshops with different bike communities. And it made sense. Uh, we're both bike packers. We both like to use our bikes to go camping and go uh, ride on dirt roads and gravel that we would focus on a bike camping trip as a kind of like the journey that we could tell our story during. Um, and especially made sense given that we filmed during COVID. And so we couldn't do some of the community stuff that we have done or plan to do things like group rides or in-person workshops. Um, and I think it ended up being really like the simplicity of a bikepacking trip ends up being a really nice way to tell the story, um, in a way that we couldn't have done at another time. So we went on a trip that life leaves from my house in Corvallis and goes to the ocean through the, the coast range. Um, here in Oregon and it's my favorite route. Uh, it's just 60 miles, but it is pretty steep and it's all pretty much all dirt and we camp halfway and, um, talked about our own journeys to accept our bodies and then our own journeys to work towards some of the structural limitations that people on larger bodies face in the world and also specifically in biking. And then what we're doing to try and change the the limiting factors for people in larger bodies in biking. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the folks who ride bikes, like everyone can be uh, really great and also sometimes really awful towards other people. You know, um, there's, I mean, I've definitely uh, heard and experienced sexism within this community. Um, there's for sure racism ableism. And as you all talk about, there's a lot of body shaming and fat phobia, not, not even just within like racing circles or something, places where maybe, I don't know, maybe you'd expect to see it more there, but can you just talk a little bit about some of your experiences with that? Because, you know, there's two sides of this, right? There's like how we feel about ourselves and our own bodies, but then there's also how people talk to us and treat us. And these are not always related, but like they can definitely feed each other too. So can you just talk about, you know, some of, some of the, 
experiences you've had? Yeah, I think it's all more subtle than you, you know, people expect, um, you know, people go in the comment section of an article or a video like this. And of course there's some people that say, you know, some pretty horrible things, um, just outright. But when I'm on my bike out, you know, doing a bike packing trip or just commuting, it's not, you know, people don't usually yell some like horrible, uh, offensive thing at me about my body or, uh, you know, that doesn't, that type of thing doesn't happen very frequently. It's way more common. Um, and something that I talk about a lot in workshops that Marley and I host that people will offer something that they think is a word of encouragement. Like, um, you've got this or like way to get out there as they, you know, usually it's as they're passing me on an uphill, it always seems. Um, and, and of course I'm going slow. Uh, they make an assumption maybe that I'm out there to, to change the way my body looks or that I'm new to cycling because of the way my body looks or whatever they're assuming they're making a comment to me that they often don't make to my friends and smaller bodies, uh, that are in the same group as me. And, and so in addressing that, I like to suggest that people don't just say nothing to, to other cyclists. I, I would hate to encourage us just to not say anything uh, when we're out biking past other folks, but uh, just to say, you know, reframe as we statements, like we've got this, like, oh, isn't it nice that we're all out here on a great day? Something that makes everybody feel like we're part of the cycling community rather than the person commenting being part of the cycling community and then I'm the outsider. Um, you know, and I, I've had people say things like, oh, are you sure you can do that route? Like, I just saw some really athletic people struggle on that route. Um, or even like friends of mine make assumptions about what my ability levels are uh, based on, you know, their judgments about my body. So it's things like that. Group rides, often people will say, oh, are you just getting into cycling? Actually, when I bought the magazine at the grocery store that I was on the cover of the cashier was a young man. And he asked if I was just getting into mountain biking, he didn't recognize that it was me on the cover of the magazine. So, so lots of things like that, but not a lot of people just yelling an insult out the window or something like that. It's, it's really these subtle things that I think people think they're being kind and inviting, but um, that's not always how they're received. Yeah. And I was, I was also wondering if you ever hear the thing of like, well, I'm just concerned about your health or something like that, where people (laughs) use the word health as a proxy for thin or something like that. Like they, that those two must always be the same thing. Yeah. I think it's well-intentioned. You know, and then my gut reaction is like, well, I am healthy. I ride my bike all the time and body size isn't an indication of health. It's like to defend myself as a healthy person. But I'm trying to work now to combat that immediate reaction because that's ableist as well to just like go ahead and be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm fat, but I'm also like, I'm still healthy like, okay, what does that say about folks who aren't healthy? And like, why is, why are we holding health up as this uh, sort of like bastion that proves that we have worth or value? So 
I'm trying not to do that. It's difficult though, because people, that is a common thing people will say is that, um, oh, like as long as you're healthy or like, I'm just concerned about your health or if you, you know, people do make assumptions. They, a lot of people say like, oh, well, if only you cycled more or if you ate less of, you know, X, Y, Z foods, you would be smaller. And that's challenging to combat because I, I think, you know, I believe that people are valuable at any body size and I don't want to just go ahead and be like, providing evidence that I'm healthy or that I do exercise or eat enough as a defense for myself and my value, because that's feeding into that same fat phobia and ableism that I'm trying to work against, if that makes sense. So I'm definitely not perfect, (laughs) but trying uh, to not feed into those negative comments with more negative, negative comments. You know, that's a really good point about that. We don't, we want to make sure we're not being ableist by saying, well, I, well, I am healthy because I I mean, like, first of all, what is, I mean, that, that's such a hard thing to define and like somebody, people can be healthy or not depending on the size. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have anything super articulate to say about that, but that is a very good thing to think about. Like this whole notion of what does that even mean? Um, And like, that is not our place to judge about other people. Totally. Just period. Yeah. Yeah. And not doing that sort of like fake encourage, like you go get them when it's like, (laughs) can feel super patronizing. Yeah. Like you're so confident. Like that's a big one like how are you so confident amazing like as if I shouldn't be confident you know (laughs) terrible I'm laughing and it's uh, that's so awful yeah I'm just so you're so so brave you're so confident yeah (laughs) yeah and you're like I'm just you know taking a walk Yeah. Just going to the, I'm just going to the store. I'm not brave. I'm just, just you know, resisting. I just need a bandaid at the store. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how has, um, what's the reaction to the film been? I mean, I'm sure it's had a big, I'm sure it's had a huge impact in your life. And do you feel like, uh, more people are hearing these messages now? Yeah, I feel like it's been overwhelming in a a very much a positive way. Um, You know, there's people that are always going to say negative things. uh, And whenever you put something out into the world that calls attention to a topic that is as sensitive as body size and everybody's got a body and deals with body image issues um, to, to some extent, you're expecting some negativity, but for us, we, it, we've been so fortunate that overwhelmingly it's been a positive response, like both the individual responses we get from people saying that this hearing this story helped them feel more confident as a, already as a biker or that they had stopped riding a bike because of their body size and now they're coming back or that they had never ridden a bike because of their body size and just assumed they couldn't all of those like hearing those messages it's like amazing if if one more person rode a bike because they watched that video it's like the honor of a lifetime but also the 
the other response that I don't know if I expected um, was the industry response. Um, we have, since the film came out, we have been on calls, doing workshops or one-on-one -on -one conversations with um, some company in the bike or outdoor industry every week, at least one a week. Um, and then so many interviews um, with different podcasts and, and news outlets. And so it's like, I mean, the very fact that the industry and by industry, I guess, I mean, private companies, but also, you know, nonprofits and organizations putting on events for their communities, um, schools, high schools, Girl Scout troops reaching out to have um, to have this conversation like that is amazing that they are going out of their way to learn about this um, sometimes for the first time. And, you know, we mentioned earlier, like with body size and bikes, it's about, but it's about personal body image. It's about other people and how they view you. But with biking, it's also about physical equipment, both clothing, having available clothing sizes, but also the bikes themselves have weight limits. The components have weight limits. So there's a real safety issue when we talk about people in larger bodies on bikes if we're not doing it right. So we need the industry. We have to work with companies um, to make biking physically more inclusive for people in larger bodies. And so having that response, it's not, it's like not just feels good, but it's also like necessary, like as much as we just want to talk to people and hear these amazing stories of how people were touched by the film. It's also like, we're actually doing some of the work to change, um, to change how accessible this is. Uh, so yeah, overwhelming, amazing. It's been, it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So can't believe it's happening. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. I mean, I know I, I do feel like, I mean, I had an experience uh, a few years ago, I was training for a century and I just wanted a New Jersey for summer and I wanted it to, it was really hot and I wanted it to be mostly white. And I remember going around to so many stores here in Portland where there's like a lot of bike shops and it just felt like it was a struggle to find, you know, things that were sized L or XL were like way too small for me. Most of the stuff in the stores was for men. Um, and it was really, it was, it's incredibly dispiriting, you know, to not be able to like, go into a store for the sport that you're really excited about and they just don't even have equipment that fits you. It's like, it's like they're, they don't even, it's like, they're telling you you're not welcome or part, you're not included yeah. that you're not, yeah. that they don't, they're not making this stuff for you, you know? Totally. Um, you're not invited. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if, if uh, you know, if, if this leads to the bike industry, I, I mean, and like, there's, they can make more money, right? Like yes. it's, it's like, there are people who will spend money on their yep. stuff if they make good quality stuff and in a different range of sizes, right? Pretty easy sell. I mean, more than half of uh, people who identify as women in the United States are in what like the plus size clothing range. Um, so the, the cycling apparel industry knows they're missing out on over half of the uh, the female market then, and then 
you know, a lot of bikes have a weight limit around 250 pounds, which is a, you know, it's a marker for liability. But when people see that they're not going to buy a bike, most people that that if they exceed that weight limit, which is, is smart for them, smart for the company. So it means they need to make bikes that can carry a, a, a heavier load, especially if people in larger bodies want to get into bike touring or bike packing or commuting where they're then adding luggage to their bike. So they, I definitely have been very impressed by how quickly the companies are moving, you know, with supply as it is right now for bikes, Mm. just generally, and also just in general, how long it takes them to develop. We're probably looking at at least a couple of years before some of these um, changes actualize in, in products in stores, but the fact that they're having the conversations at least is, uh, is positive. So, mm-hmm. well, that's great. Yeah. And that is a good point that, right. It, it's going to take a while before, um, new products can actually show up, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. And I know you all are doing, yeah. So you're, so it sounds like, so you're working with companies in, Uh, you're working with bike companies. So you're working with folks in industries, but you all are also offering webinars for folks who want to get more, who are already riding bikes or want to get more into it, or maybe want to go bike packing or something like that. Yeah, we've got one um, class that we, we actually don't have any scheduled yet, but there's a recording. Well, we have done it for, and there's recordings of them that we can give people, but We'll also be scheduling more throughout the summer uh, that's meant for people in larger bodies specifically talks about how to look for a bike and, you know, what you're looking for um, with the bike and the components and then the clothing. Um, And so that's really targeted for new or returning people in larger bodies that are coming to cycling but we also have workshops just generally about this topic. And then Marley does teach a class specifically on bike packing and how to get into that. And that's not specific to people in larger bodies. That's just for anybody. So she teaches that one too ongoing. Well, I have to, my, um, one of my good friends, uh, Kimber is a big fan of yours and a big fan of Marley's and, uh, she, and I had, uh, I was chatting with her earlier today and asked her if she had any questions and, um, she, uh, she had actually a bunch of great suggestions. So I, I just want to credit her, <laughs> um, but yeah, can you talk, and this was really an interesting issue and you kind of touched on this and can you talk more about like the conflation? of being fat with being a beginner um, and how, and, and what, you know, that, yeah. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Totally. Yeah. I mean, there is an underlying assumption that if you ride your bike a lot, you will lose weight. So it's unlikely then if that's the assumption that a person in a larger body could possibly be experienced. Um, And I mean, that's what it is simply like at its root. And how does it manifest? Like I mentioned a few ways earlier, but you know, often it means if I'm riding with a group of friends, even if I'm the one often like guiding them almost on a bikepacking trip, sometimes recently a lot of new people have gotten into bikepacking, which is amazing. So I've been taking a lot of people on like their first trip 
And it's always assumed by passerbys or other people we encounter that uh, the the reverse is true, that I'm being led on my first trip. Um, So it's, I mean, it's incredibly frustrating. And I think that is probably part in part, just ego, you know, you want to be kind of recognized for being a cyclist or having experience in the space. And then, you know, that that's not how you're being viewed. And, and what's funny is it, it isn't uh, combated at all by having different equipment. I could be, you know, on the most inexpensive bike or the most expensive bike in the group. And the assumption will still be that for some reason, this totally new biker has a really expensive <laughs> bicycle that has a lot of specific components on it that you would never have as a new cyclist, or I could have the latest clothes or, you know, that what I'm wearing doesn't really change. The bike doesn't really change the perception. And that's not going to necessarily stop somebody from getting into cycling because they are then truly a beginner, but it does make people in larger bodies, or I should just speak for myself. It makes me feel like I'm not included in some of the more, um, yeah, just the more experienced communities of cyclists, no matter how much I ride. And I talk about in the film that manifested in kind of an unhealthy way for me where I was trying to just prove myself. I was like, you know, I know my body's not going to change. So the way to make everybody realize that I'm experienced is to just do like the most intense trips that I can think of and just bike really far and get myself into lots of like uncomfortable physical positions. Uh, because then I'm like, well, I biked the furthest, even though it took me a lot longer. Um, because I, you know, there's, a, there's some laws of physics going on, you know, my body weighs more, than somebody else's body. So it's harder for me to pedal uphill or downhill. It means I'm going slower. And so, you know, in a sport like cycling or running, or I think most outdoor activities, speed equals experience. And so when speed equals experience, it means that I can never be, you know, perceived as experienced um, compared to lighter friends. So that's kind of long-winded. Apologies. No, no apology necessary. Yeah, so it's just kind of like a series of microaggressions, right? Like these little things that just keep chipping away at you where you're just constantly like, nope, I'm in charge. Nope, it's me. Yeah. I'm the leading the trip here. Yeah, that's that's Which exhausting. at the end of the day, does it doesn't actually matter, you know? <laughs> it's like I can still ride my bike and I know what I've done and over time it's shifted where I'm like, I don't really have to prove myself anymore. I can Mm -hmm. just go on whatever trips I want. But part of that is because I have been recognized now, at least on things like social media as a person who's experienced in this sphere. So I think that has then given me this privilege to care less about perceptions of me in individual encounters with people out on the bike. So easy for me to say, I think, you know, I had a film about me riding bikes. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Bicycling magazine cover model, right? Yeah. Um, well, so, well, so another, um, you know, another question from Kimber, and this is actually one um, I had too. So I think, you know, you just said that you feel like more folks are getting interested in bikepacking and that's something that I've been interested in. And Kimber and I were talking about this today. And so do you have any tips like, 
like, let's say that you're somebody who already rides a bike, right? So yeah. you already have that stuff and maybe you already have the, uh, maybe you've gone camping, right? Car camping, Absolutely. but um, any tips to sort of to get started when you're eager, but unsure, how do you, you know, plan that first trip, especially if you're going alone? I know, I feel like trying to figure out where to go or route planning is the part that intimidates me like I want I want to be able to not go very far be in a beautiful place and then have it loop back to my house I don't know I just (laughs) um, totally so any tips for folks who are just getting started yeah you know in terms of routes and route finding I think the best way to go is to use an established route that is on one of the the bigger websites like bikepacking.com is one that comes to mind and a really amazing cyclist in Portland Molly Sugar has made a few just single or double you know two night routes in the Portland area um, that are loops so then you park and you go and um, pretty low mileage so if you had something go wrong with your bike or and you're never so remote that you couldn't some you know get some help if something really went wrong or you just didn't want to do it anymore <laughs> um, and so I think starting with an established route is not what I did I just picked random dirt roads um, when I lived in Utah and then learned that they were not always very bikeable but <laughs> over time now I just ride established routes usually start small another thing is if you you know the equipment for bikepacking uh can be pretty expensive and you kind of need a lot of it to get going when i started bikepacking a lot of that equipment didn't really exist yet so i would just wear a backpacking bag which was not very comfortable and i wouldn't like recommend it if you could could go a different way but honestly for like some of my trips i ride five to 10 miles into camp and then five to 10 miles out. And so then it's not so uncomfortable. And I was able to just use all of the camping gear I already had. I bought nothing specific to bikepacking for the first couple of years that I bikepacked. I used my commuting panniers for a year after that. And it wasn't until a few years in that I got the bags that Velcro to your bike and that whole thing. And, you know, a smaller sleeping bag. So like starting small and then something I think is really cool is that there are some routes in the area where you could just drive your camping gear in to a place uh, or have somebody meet you with the car and or pick a spot that's in the middle of a bunch of different routes, set up camp, and then instead of carrying your gear, just do some gravel biking and then camp in between those different routes, you know, to get started and feel what it's like to ride multiple days in a row. Um, That's something we do now just because it's really fun and invites more people to join that don't necessarily have all the bags. So, I mean, my big recommendation is like, don't buy everything all at once. There are some rental um, places to rent. I know Swift rents bags up in Seattle, um, I think there's somewhere in Portland that'll do it too. Um, but keep it small, you know, you don't have to break any records. And I know lots of people like the routes we see people put on social media are these like hundred day 
across some continent routes that are super intense and you'd probably have to quit your job to have enough days off to go do it. <laughs> and that is not all that bikepacking can be. So <laughs> I go on mostly like less than 60 mile overnighters. Right. Yeah. And that's bikepacking. That, 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 but if you're camping yeah. with your bike, then yeah. I think it's bikepacking. Who knows? There's yeah. no formal definition. <laughs> well, um, so you, uh, you and Marley both have regular jobs, right? You're not full time. It's not like you're full time bike people. Yeah. So how has it been to make this like activity and this thing you love into, I don't know if I want to call it a side hustle, but like, essentially it's become like a, like it's become, well, work. I mean, it's work. I mean, yeah, yeah there's a lot of work. So how's, how's that? Cause that can make yeah. a really different relationship with your bike. Right. Totally. Yeah. I knew it was maybe coming, you know, when the film came out, I don't think I understood like the amount of time everything would take, you know, for me, I've been working a long time on my, my doctoral degree. And so I have had to try to prioritize that as I also bring this work in. And Marley and I both have multiple jobs, but we're really lucky in that our jobs are flexible with schedule. So we both have the privilege of time during the day to be able to hop on calls um, with companies or, you know, talk to an individual for an hour here and there. And that has allowed us to keep our jobs and do this. Um, but I think over time, we're both trying to leave what we can of some of our less desirable parts of our job to take on more of this work uh, as we can. And yeah, how has it changed biking? I mean, I think in some ways it's made, it's made biking more empowering uh, because I... I live in a small town, you know, it's not that small, but like smaller than a, than Portland with a lot less diverse of a community and a lot less diverse of a cycling community than somewhere like Portland might have. And so that's meant that I feel way more connected than I used to because I've made a lot of my community online. I, I think that a lot of people feel that way through COVID is that like our communities have for better or worse, moved a lot uh, into the virtual space. And that means that when I'm out biking, I feel connected to that community still. Um, and I've actually, now that uh, I'm fully vaccinated, been able to meet up with some people. And so that's really cool. You know, the social media aspect of this work is what changes biking the most. Like doing the workshops or podcasts, that doesn't really change how I feel when I'm out on the bike. Um, except for just feeling connected. But the work of doing like social media stuff, uh, that does change what it's like to ride a bike because then you're thinking like, what can I do to get a photo? Or like, how can I create this aspirational story that I can post so that people, I can continue to feed this like constant need to see what we're doing um and then like hopefully that'll inspire you know like this constant need to produce like inspirational content for people uh that maybe there isn't really a demand there you know like maybe we could just stop doing it um but it feels there does seem to be a little bit of like pressure to post things and so that can make 
biking feel a little more like a job. Um, I try to keep that really contained to like one or two rides a month where it's just like, this is the photo ride. Um, <laughs> and then the rest leave the camera at home. So just working on that. I'm definitely not a pro at that. There was a great article and I'll send it to you in the New York times a couple of years ago about people who were basically like ruining their vacations by spending the whole time trying to get a perfect photo. Like, I think it was specifically about honeymoons maybe. Um, And it was, it was not funny, but it was also, I mean, and they showed this picture that, this of this woman um and then they told the story of what a terrible day they had because they spent all day trying to get this picture of her like flipping her hair back in the ocean with the sun setting behind her i mean and it was just anyway so yeah so right so having to like document things for social media can take some of the fun out of doing the thing that you are documenting on social media right like totally yeah and it's like yeah, like, what trip can I go on? Like, I can't just do the same routes over and over because then they'll look, everything will look the same. But it's like, well, I, that's not what I ride is the same routes over and over. <laughs> I didn't take a picture of this tree yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my partner is not, like, in love with, he's not a professional photographer. So <laughs> he's not, like, hoping to become yes. one. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a space I did not imagine I would be in. But I'm also like, I'm not, that's not who I am. And I I kind of have given up a little on the content creation. And also, I think something I haven't said yet, you know, Marley and I are two white middle class women with a whole heck of a lot of privilege. We're also small fat uh, on the Mm -hmm. fat spectrum. We've got a lot of body privilege, even though we are in larger bodies. Like we've had the mic for a long time and there's a lot of other people that have stories that need to be shared in this space. And so like, it just doesn't have to be the Kaylee and Marley show forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're trying to like do the behind the scenes, the workshops and the education and the community building in hopes that some of the more public facing stuff can be taken up by people who want it, you know, who just have a different story to share than we do. That's a really good point. And if you don't mind, I might follow up with you and see if you have specific folks who you think might have good stories to tell yeah. who we could talk to. Cause that would be, that would be great. Um, so I just have, I haven't let Armando get a word in edgewise. I've been so excited <laughs> to talk to you, but um, I just had one more question if you don't mind answering this. And um, this is actually a suggestion from Kimber too, but, um, and basically the question is how can, you know, allies or whatever, whatever word we want to use, how can allies be more inclusive? Where are some areas where, I mean, you talked a little bit about framing things as, you know, we're doing this as opposed to you're doing this and things like that. But are there other areas where you feel like you have enough support or people aren't being helpful or where are some areas where you feel like other folks can do more to be more inclusive, to be more supportive? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the, you know, some of the big things, if you're like a group ride organizer being really transparent with 
and this is this is not really just for people in larger bodies it's just like courtesy to everyone <laughs> like be transparent with route and speed and try to stop using words like beginner ride or expert ride and use words like the actual miles per hour that you intend to go rather than social pace because that varies greatly um you know for friends in smaller bodies just i mean just taking the time to even listen to a podcast episode like this or go to a training or talk or just exposing yourself to concepts about people with bodies different than your own is like, to me, I think in the body size space, a huge shift because I don't think we've even done that yet up until this point. Um, And so educating ourselves, but then also, you know, if you're going to rent bikes and you're a person in a smaller body, maybe call ahead and see if there's a weight limit. Um, if you're organizing an event that has clothing related to it, or you have an organization that, that puts out a t-shirt today, an organization I really love put a new t-shirt out and I was disappointed to see that it only went to an XL size. And so that might fit me, but somebody larger than me, it might not fit you know, some, some folks in all different sizes of bodies refuse to buy clothes from companies that don't have, um, a more size inclusive, um, spectrum. That's pretty challenging right now, but being the person who reaches out to that company or organization to say, Hey, have you thought about having a few sizes larger? Like that's an amazing thing to do. Um, for just like what you can do, one big thing, what you can do around your house is like, if you're going to have friends over or go out to eat, like think about the chairs that are there in that space and who they accommodate. Um, you know, for people in larger bodies, I think I find this, especially with like patio furniture or outdoor dining, like the chairs just are not built to support a larger human. And that can be very stressful. So, you know, asking the restaurant, Oh, do you have different chairs? And, speaking up or just having those types of seating arrangements at your house, um, you know, those types of things, you know, there's, there's so many different ways. Um, but I think, you know, there's physical ways and then there's emotional ways to support friends and family and larger bodies. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Those are all really good tips. And I, um, really appreciate you taking the time to, to share all that with us. And I uh, appreciate all the work that you're doing. It's, it's great. And I, I mean, I hear what you're saying that you all are, are, uh, coming from a place of having some privilege in the world. And, and maybe that's kind of why you were able to kick the door in a little bit, you know, and have your voices be heard. So, you know, scream as much as you can while you're on top of that pedestal and let <laughs> make sure everybody hears, you know, maybe opening the door a little further for other folks to come in too. Totally. So, um, so tell folks where they can find you on the internet or on social media for those occasional inspirational messages and bikepacking trips. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Let's see my Instagram. I should probably change it to something I could say out loud rather than spell, but it's Kornhauser sauce, which is my last name. And then the word sauce, I guess there'll be probably show notes. So yes, we'll include it in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Yes. And then I've got a website, KayleeCornhauser.com. And people, you know, if you have questions about like equipment or how to plug into community, please reach out, you know, via, you can email me at the website or DM me on Instagram. We've got an all bodies on bikes, Facebook page. 
that's growing pretty quickly. And it's been, I mean, it's like my favorite online community and that has nothing to do with Marley or I setting it up. It's like the people on there have made it amazing. They just share their routes and everybody hypes them up. And it's like, it's so cool. People share pictures all day long of all the cool biking they do and everybody's so supportive. And then we've got an all bodies on bikes, Instagram page too. We're going to be doing a lot more with that. Um, now we're kind of transitioning into like actually getting to some of the stuff we thought we would do when the film came out. <laughs> so, so lots of ways to plug in and always folks should feel free to reach out to me. Well, thank you so much. That's really, um, that's really generous of you. And I'll include those links in our show notes so folks can check there and on our, and on our website. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Thanks for chatting thank with us tonight. So yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, that was great. How nice to talk to Kaylee. Yeah, she, I, uh, I really enjoyed her, uh, her personality comes over just like she is on social media. You know. Yeah, I know. I know. We're right. Like, no wonder people are looking for her for inspirational content because totally. she's great. <laughs> I'm like, I want to go bikepacking with her. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, uh, I learned, I learned a lot from her. I think I'm kind of like aware of these things, but I, I learned some stuff. Okay. Well, we have a new segment that we are starting up. I think. New. We're going to give it a try. We don't have a, we don't have a name for it yet. So if people have suggestions for names for it, they should maybe tell us at the smarket podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, so, but this segment in, this is going to be like where we talk about something that's been on our mind, something that we might talk about. It could be like a news story or a bike ride that we went on or an experience we had on our bikes. Um, or anything like that. So I don't know. I have one, Armando. Do you have Do you have one ready to go? You go first. I'll go first. Mm, so what I want to talk about is uh, last week, last, yeah, about a week ago, a friend and I were riding uh, from my house to uh, meet up at a Pedal Palooza ride. So we were riding together on a neighborhood greenway which are like they're not car free streets in portland but they're you know lower traffic streets in town where they have sharrows on the road and they're intended for people on on bikes and walking and they're supposed to be lower car traffic um and they usually have you know uh they make it so it's harder for cars to ride down those streets so last week my friend and i were were riding two by two on this neighborhood or not or one by one wait we're riding next to each other on this neighborhood street and somebody uh somebody on a bike passed us and yelled at us uh and at first i thought she was yelling at us for riding next to each other which she was but then i realized she was yelling at us and telling us we needed to be riding as far right as possible and she passed us and then I could see, so this is a street where there are cars parked and then there are gaps where the cars are. And so she was doing that thing where she was basically like riding like right in the car zone, like right next to the cars. And then when there weren't any cars, she was like hugging the curb and then going back out. And so 
Um, I mean, now if people want to ride that way, like, I don't think that's a great way to ride. It, it makes you less visible. The car zone can be dangerous, but she also yelled at us and told us we were riding in the wrong place and we weren't. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was easy for her at first. So at first I thought she was just mad that we were like taking up a little more space, but there was plenty of room. And I feel like greenways are kind of made for that. Um, you know, and the Sharrows are on the road. And I remember when I finally realized what she was saying, I sort of shouted back at her, like, you're supposed to ride on the Sharrows. Right? <laughs> but it was so confusing because, and it, it was annoying because she was basically scold. I mean, sometimes somebody scolds you and you are doing something you're not supposed to be and you get called out by it. But in this case, she was scolding us and like, we weren't actually doing anything wrong. Like she was wrong. Not just that. I think that her, her own riding behavior was unsafe for her and for others, but also it's actually not the case that in a green way you should be riding as far right as possible. And, and, and like, I don't know. I think there are probably times when I've scolded people for, I mean, I try not to, but once in a while I've probably been irritated at people and scolded them. But like, if you're going to scold people for riding wrong, like make sure you're right. <laughs> like you should actually like, don't scold people when just because you assume something is supposed to be that way. I don't know. We had this whole long conversation from it. Like, is this somebody who's not from here? So they don't know how Cheryl's work or do they just think that everybody is doing it wrong? Or why did she feel so empowered to like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answers to that, but I, I have yeah, the but, answer for you. Oh, please do tell me when people yell stuff like that. This is yeah. what you say. You don't get to tell me that. That's what you say. That, that's it. That's all you yeah, say. I kind of wanted to like catch back up to her and like argue with her. <laughs> no, no, you just tell them that. Yeah, because it's just like, but you're, but you're wrong. I mean, I remember once I was on a bike path where the bike path and the sidewalk converged. And so bikes were supposed to be on the sidewalk and a pedestrian yelled at me like, get off the sidewalk. And I remember saying back to them, no, the bike lane is actually here on the sidewalk. And they were like, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh yeah anyway so you know if you're gonna tell people how to ride their bikes make sure like it's not just your opinion or your style but like you actually know what they're supposed to be doing or maybe just don't tell people unless there's danger i don't know it's a week later i'm still kind of irritated about it yeah that's she uh... was wrong she was so scoldy and she was wrong yeah and weird that's just weird <laughs> It was really weird. I have been scolded for riding two by two before, but that was when a friend and I were riding together in a bike lane and people maybe couldn't pass us. And like, probably we should have just been riding, you know, single file. So they weren't wrong then, even though I felt defensive. Okay. So anyway, that's my thing that I'm thinking about. How about you, Armando? What you got? I don't know. I don't know if I have anything. You have tons of things. You're oh. just not ready for them. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> it's not a segment if I'm the only one who talks. <laughs> well, I don't want it to, I mean, it could be anything, right? Just something I yeah, have to so, talk about. It could just be like, was there a particularly fun ride you've gone on in the past week? Mm. Or actually, how about this? So, you know, you've gone on some 
group rides in the past year, but not that many, but Mm -hmm. you've gone on a whole bunch in the past week. So how's that feeling? Uh, it feels really good. Um, I, I limited my social riding in 2020 to two protest rides. And then as soon as, uh, my son was the last one to get the vaccine and he got it at the end of May. And so now he's fully vaccinated. So it's really good timing because I didn't, I didn't want to take any chances with my family, you know? So, uh, I was vaccinated earlier. His mom was vaccinated earlier. My daughter got a job and was vaccinated earlier. So we were just waiting for him and now it feels a little safer. I don't feel like I'm putting him in any danger anymore. Uh, not that I was cause I didn't want to put him in any danger. Let's put it that way. Um, you're being cautious, I'm being cautious. And so now, uh, I don't want to say that feels lifted, but, uh, I'm, it feels a lot better. And so I feel, I feel a little safer doing group rides. Uh, I'm still trying to, you know, maintain distance. Um, but you know, we're hitting, we're getting some high numbers for adults for vaccinations here in Multnomah County. So, um, it's, it's getting safer. Uh, so it just makes it feel better and, and to be able to ride again with others. Yeah, I was, um, I was surprised. I've just been on one, one, the one group ride, but I was surprised at how, uh, how kind of quickly it became, it felt normal again, maybe. Mm-hmm. to be outside chatting with people before a ride. So, yeah, that was, that was nice. Very Feels nice. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hope folks we'd be, I'd be interested from hearing from folks about how they're feeling about group rides right now. So s- send us an email to the Sprocket podcast at gmail.com if you want to, or, or get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram or, or and leave, let us know. Leave, leave Joan a snarky voicemail. I think Armando wants a snarky voicemail. I don't want a snarky voicemail. I want a nice voicemail. Snark, maybe maybe any that snark uh, can be directed maybe that to cycle, Armando. that cycling rider will call in. Yeah, definitely don't <laughs> yell at me in a voicemail about how I'm riding my bike. Or, or call <laughs> in and, and explain yourself. That's what you should do. <laughs> yes. I was the rider that passed Joan and her friend. I know. What if that person is a listener and they're like, that's Joan. That's terrible. Now she's going to, now she's going to. Now you're going to get it. Get all her, uh, all her anger at the Sprocket podcast. <laughs> and me. <laughs> the Sprocket podcast is produced in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a review or tell your friends about us. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headlines sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Cameron Lean. Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish. Eric Wise, Doug Cohen-Miller, Chris Smith. 
Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Culey, Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Drew the Welder. Anna, Andre Johnson, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, Macknurse David, Jeremy Kitchen. David Belay, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel. E.J. Finneran, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skadow. Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson. Ryan Tam, Jason Oftenberg, David Moore, Todd Grosbeck. Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron. Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Dude Luna, hey that's me. Emma Rooks, Kakao, Philip M. Spartandale, Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, Myron Patterson, Kirsten Graham. Aaron G, Rachel Moline, Jimmy Diesel. And our newest sponsor, Christopher Barnett. And thanks to all our former supporters who helped us along the way. Now brush your teeth. And go to bed. <laughs>